Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show. And we've got my co-host with me as always, Executive Editor Frank Washcook. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Always a pleasure. Fresh from our first Healthcare and Pharma Awards event, which was great fun and we'll chat about that later. And um, really delighted to have Margot Edelman with us, who's uh, currently GM in the Bay Area for Edelman, but soon to be Deputy GM in New York City. So, Margot, welcome to the show. Really, to, really um, pleased to have you on. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be on. Yeah. So, listen, you've got, uh, you've got, what, a month left, roughly a month left on the West Coast. I think you've been working there sort of, about seven years? Um, exactly, seven years. I moved in uh, the beginning of June of uh, 2015, which actually doesn't feel like that long ago. And then when I think it's been seven years, I'm like, wow, that, that actually has been a pretty significant amount of time. It has. And of course, it, it, it encompasses COVID, which feels like seven years on its own. <laughs> COVID, of um, course. And then also all the Me Too scandals, all, yeah. a lot of the sort of rise. And now we're seeing bust of, of tech. So it's been it's been an interesting ride over the last seven years. Yes, no never boring is it and um, for the past I think since February 21 you've been the GM of the Bay Area business and Edelman seems in fine fettle on the west coast I was lucky enough to visit uh, the west coast last week and um, you know we're talking and about how some of the large agencies have traditionally struggled a little bit to make their presence felt on the west coast but it's it feels like you've made good progress at Edelman why don't you talk to us a little bit about how you did that because yeah. uh, there's been a number of attempts before that, frankly, haven't haven't gone as well. Absolutely. Um, we're on track to grow um, nearly 14% this past year in the Bay for our fiscal, which uh, starts in July. And we actually have added a number of really amazing clients to our roster, including Intuit, DoorDash, IDEO, Pinterest, WhatsApp. So really sort of a, a who's who of the tech industry. So it's been really exciting. Um, and I think the main thing has been really, I think, focus on two things. Number one is just really making sure that we have a great team in the Bay um, and really making sure that we really have world-class professionals and that for us as Edelman, the Bay Area is seen as a destination and a place that people want to move to within Edelman to really um, make a mark in their careers and make a mark professionally. And then also that we're really integrated into the Bay Area and the tech ecosystem. You know, we can't just treat San Francisco like it's an outpost of the East Coast. It really is its own world. It has its own influence key reporters you need to know, key clients you need to have. And really what I've spent sort of the last seven years doing is making sure that we're part of that world, whether it's knowing sort of the editors at the New York Times, Bloomberg, the Wall Street Journal, Axios out there, um, or it's having relationships with top venture capital funds, representing some of them in the market. It's really about being part of the Bay Area ecosystem. And I think what our core value proposition has been out there has been we both need to have a strong presence in the Bay, but sort of unlike some of the boutiques that also have, you know, strong professionals in the Bay, we're part of a global network. Um, So what we can offer to clients is really that sort of connectivity to the Valley, but then also the connectivity to Asia, to Europe, to the East Coast, to the middle of the country that I think a lot of the boutiques don't offer. Yeah, it's a good point about 
uh, not just treating it as an offshoot of the East Coast because the cultures on the East and West Coast are very different and uh, it doesn't go down well if you just try and bring the East Coast attitude to the West Coast. That's a it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, it's even true with our return to office. Um, so, for example, on the West Coast, we've really prioritized flexibility. And, you know, for example, a lot of the team has actually moved to L.A., but that's something where, you know, at least for me, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, please show up for our virtual all hands. Obviously, you know, you need to get your work done. But if you want to go work out of the Edelman LA office or, you know, you're in, based in Denver and you want to be remote, that's okay. That's the new world we're working in, in particular on the West Coast. And I think we have to embrace that flexibility to be successful in San Francisco and on the West Coast in general. Yeah. Now, you've had people like Dave Sampson join the company. Dave, a long-time in-house client-side person at Chevron. And whilst he's not necessarily leading tech practices, he's, he's, he's very much in the corporate part of the business. It must be great having people like uh, Dave around to, you know, as counsel and to be part of the part of the business out there. Absolutely. He's been an amazing mentor. He obviously has incredible relationships really throughout the entire industry, but in particular in the Valley, he does know tech. Dave actually was at, was at Oracle for a while. So he has great relationships yeah. in the tech industry, obviously, in addition to traditional businesses like Levi's, where he used to run comms and Chevron. And really, he's been an incredible mentor um, and has really contributed to us winning some marquee clients out in the valley as well so it's been it's been awesome having him on board and even in my new york role i'm I'm hoping we can he and i can continue to to work a lot together yeah i'm sure you will and that let's move on to that you're going to be deputy gm of new york which is obviously edelman's biggest office um a great promotion great chance to bring your chops to the east coast so tell us what that role is going to involve and uh, how much you're looking forward to that I'm really looking forward to it. I grew up in New York City. I grew up going to the Edelman summer outings um, and helping to host the intern party when I was growing up. So the New York office is very near and dear to my heart. And as part of the role, I'm going to be overseeing the larger corporate practice within Edelman in New York, um, which encompasses corporate reputation, also financial services, crisis, um, employee experience, social impact, and business transformation. Um, and then I'm also going to be partnering with Oscar Suris, who's the New York president, to really look after what we're calling operational excellence throughout the business. So really making sure that the business of our business is being run in the way it should be, that we're able to make the hires we need to, so that we're succeeding in the market. So really looking forward to partnering closely with Oscar on that and really focusing and building out the corporate practice uh, in New York. Yeah, now, yours, it won't have gone unnoticed to listeners. Your surname is Edelman. You are, of course, Richard Edelman's eldest daughter. You have two sisters, and uh, I think one of them is in the business, and, and one of and Tori is, is in the business. Amanda has been in the business and is at finish, finishing up at college. Um, how was that growing up, you know, as um, and then coming into the business? Because I guess in, in, in one way you were mirroring your, your father in that he came into the business and so did his siblings. But uh, the business was nowhere near as big back then and it was no, nowhere near as global and all-encompassing. Was, was it daunting? Was it exciting? I guess you grew up with it, but talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Well, listen, we, we grew up with Edelman. We grew up, you know, every weekend, you know, in the summer, my dad would have clients out to our house in Southampton. He'd have reporters out. Um, we grew up sort of knowing what the numbers of the business were. We'd sit down as a family and look at them with my grandfather when he was alive. So this is absolutely a family business and something that my sisters and I really grew up in. 
So, you know, and in a lot of ways, it's, you know, really fulfilling to be able to join the business and be able to have an impact. Um, I believe like, like, you know, I've been able to have on the West Coast. So in a lot of ways, again, it's, it's been, it's been very exciting and very fulfilling. I would say sort of coming out of college and even business school, it definitely was a bit daunting, um, just because, as you said, the business is global. It's now the largest PR firm in the world. It was not, obviously, when I was growing up. So I definitely saw the the coming up of Edelman, um, and I know what that takes to do that. But, you know, there, there absolutely is a component that is a little bit, is a little bit daunting when you're coming in. Um, I would say what I've tried to do in my career is go to places where there's a need and where there's an opportunity to stand out. So when I graduated from business school, um, I actually went and worked in our research and insights division. Um, I worked for a guy who was a former pollster to really help build out our insights practice, did that for two years. And again, it was a little bit like a startup within the overall company. So it was an opportunity to be creative, be more entrepreneurial. And then again, in moving out to the West Coast, I think it was an opportunity to be in a world that was different uh, than New York, than where sort of Edelman has had its traditional stronghold. And again, really build out the business, um, build out my relationships there and be in a place where, you know, I really could have an impact. And sort of going back to sort of the name Edelman, I do think, you know, having a name, you know, that name is definitely... It's a double-edged sword. I think sort of internally, there's very high expectations of what you can do and what you can deliver. Hopefully, I deliver on those. Um, but then externally, listen, it's, it's great for opening doors. People will meet with me or at least, you know, take a 10-minute take a phone call that they wouldn't necessarily from other people at the company. Um, and in a, in a place that, you know, where Edelman, I think at the time, needed more access, it was a great way to open up some doors and to start building relationships on the West Coast. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I saw that Richard was inducted into the Advertising Hall of Fame last week, and he said in his acceptance speech that his mother used to rouse him at 7 a.m. with a whistle. Yeah. Is that something that you experienced in your siblings as kids as well, or had things changed in the parenting department by then? That's a that's a very good question. Uh, there there were no whistles um, in my family, but no. Listen, my dad always had very high standards for us, and you know it was definitely you know focus on grades, focus on you know excelling in athletics. So, you know, I think absolutely that that focus on achievement um, has never gone away. And my grandparents actually, I mean, I'm you know. They were, they were young enough when I was growing up that I, I knew them quite well. And I remember when I had a bat mitzvah, I actually got, my grandparents gave me a, the first year tuition to Harvard uh, when I was in seventh grade, despite not being anywhere near uh, college yet. So they, they also had very high expectations for us grandkids as well, what didn't just extend to my dad. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, what everybody thinks of when they, when they look at this is who's going to be the next leader of the company and um we spoke to richard edelman about a year ago and he's he talked about being ceo for another decade but and that there was a list of potential successors that could include the family or non-family i'm sure you saw the interview where he said I, he said nice things about you um i'm thrilled with her progress her two sisters are moving along as well. I have three smart kids. All of them are on the path to be owners. If they're able, then they'll be managers. Let's see what they've got. So come on, let's dish. Are you, uh, what, do you, what do you think? Do you want to be the next uh, CEO of Edelman? And how do you, how do you approach that? That, that's a great question, Steve. I mean, listen, I think the way to approach it is, I think, as I as I am right now, which is continuing to move along in the business and continuing to take opportunities that challenge me. Um, and so, you know, I think in, in moving from San Francisco, where I've been for a long time, you know, really love the team there, have worked very closely 
um, with a number of clients in that market, know that world well, um, it would probably be more comfortable just to stay out there and, and stay in that role. Um, but I think for me, going to New York is a new challenge, but there's also huge opportunity. So I think, you know, you know, the path for me is to really focus, keep my head down and to continue to take roles um, where I'll be challenged and I can really show, you know, as um, uh, show in, in a lot of ways what um, what I'm capable of. Show myself, obviously show the people in the company um, and continue to learn what what I'm able to do. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing about Richard is that then you you interview him this year, and he says ten years again. So that will be, it'll probably be the same next year. It'll probably be ten years, and it'll be like, okay, that that number's never going down. But I understand. Well, we'll we'll have that conversation when it when it comes to it. I think for right now, I'm focus I'm focusing on New York. <laughs> yeah. Now you did spend a little time in China, I think, in 2010. Are, are you going to obviously you're concentrating on New York uh, for this part of your career, and that that lots of stuff to do there, but. Will you look to have maybe a stint in Asia uh, or somewhere I would, else? I would love to do that. There is so much opportunity. I actually I had the opportunity to work with um, a number of clients um, that are hubbed in Asia, whether it's Infosys out of India, um, have worked with a few Chinese clients like DJI, for example, and I've just seen the massive opportunity that there is for us in Asia and also the massive opportunity that there is for us even in the U.S. to partner uh, with our colleagues in Asia. So I, w- I would love to have the opportunity to do that. Um, at some point, I think, you know, anybody who's taking a leadership role in a global firm should have a global background. I worked there when I was much, much younger and it was just and it was enough time in the market to understand just how different that world is from the U.S., but really not enough time or I wasn't old enough um, at that point. I think I was 22 um, to really make a difference. And so I think now would be or in a couple of years would be an opportunity to move out there, have a leadership role and really both make an impact for the company and also myself learn learn these new cultures um, and you know get, gain experiences that I think would be instrumental in being a senior leader in a global business. Yeah, and just to wrap, um, Jordan Rittenbury is coming over to take over your role in the Bay Area. Tell us a bit about Jordan and what he's been doing and and what his uh, you know special skills are to take over on uh, the role that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Jordan has been at Edelman for a long time, I think almost two decades. He started out working in Edelman's Chicago office, which is its co-headquarters. He has a tech background, um, which is great, obviously, coming into San Francisco, which is the heart of tech. He then was in South Africa. He built the business out there really successfully, moved to Dubai, is now, I believe, the chairman of the Middle East and Africa um, and runs a team of about 200 people. So I think he actually, in a lot of ways, has the perfect background to come into the Bay, obviously because of that tech experience, but also because his experience abroad really means he understands how to be an entrepreneur, how to think differently, how to build a business, and how to work in a world that doesn't totally work always like the East Coast does or even like you know Chicago does. And I think that's the perfect person um, to take over in the Bay because I think what requires what the job requires to be successful um, in the Bay is really just that combination of being entrepreneurial, having a can-do attitude, um, and being able to be flexible and just see what needs to get done versus always following a process. Yeah, okay. Well, we look forward to uh, interacting with Jordan. I think you start your new role on the 1st of June. So we wish you well with that and look forward to seeing you in New York. Thanks for chatting us through that and we'll get your uh, reactions to some of the news stories that have been big this week frank the pr week healthcare and pharma communications summit and awards the inaugural version was yesterday as we're recording this talk us through the highlights and um, what was the event like in the vibe in the in the room yeah so number one i mean it's just great to see everybody and it's great to be at events again 
you know, definitely something that's been, uh, you know, missing, not just from this industry, from I think a lot of different industries. And, um, you, you know, just good to see everybody again and do do a panel and, and all of those things. So um, I think if you're looking for a few broad themes um, from, from the healthcare conference part of the event, uh, a lot of it was about health inequity uh, and, um, you know, reaching groups that have traditionally been marginalized. And you combine that with the COVID-19 pandemic, and then it just it just makes the situation so much more difficult. And, you know, my, my panel was about health technology, and, you know, some of the panelists were talking about how, you know, on one hand, you know, health tech is a bit of a great equalizer for reaching communities that have been traditionally marginalized, but, you know, it's also expensive in a lot of ways, and it's not a, you know, it's not a cure-all. It's on a magic wand, right? So, um, you know, a lot of the conference was about fixing inequities in the health system, getting access to more people, uh, and, um, you know, the nearly impossible task of, of trying to do away with disinformation on social media, uh, which is just so prevalent and so dangerous. And uh, you, you heard some folks talk about the real world impacts of that. Uh, and and just how hurt some people have been by following this information. Um, so, you know, a lot of really significant topics uh, yesterday, which would have been Tuesday, um, at the summit. And, um, yeah, on to the awards. I mean, I if you made me pick one or you made me pick one category, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the category best healthcare product launch. Uh, Bayer Consumer Health and 12Note. Uh, won that for campaign starring, you know, Charles Barkley's horrible golf swing. Um, but, you know, one thing that really brought this back to me was was actually the honorable mention, and that was Launch Squad and uh, Illumi. And uh, they had the world's first over-the-counter fully at-home diagnostic test for COVID-19. And it, it really kind of makes you go back, you know, a year and a half, two years to when these products were new. Um and just how much, you, you know, when you take a COVID test now, it takes so much explaining, you know, when you we use a new kind for the first time. But just just what a challenge this was to, uh, you know, get people to understand how to use this stuff, how to trust it, you know, and, and just all of that. So, um, you know, a lot of really terrific work on display at the awards for sure. Yeah, there was. Um, Margot um, Edelman had a pretty good night, actually, won, won a bunch of awards. And with about 30 to 35 percent of revenues now coming from health in in the top agencies you know the big agencies i mean that makes edelman like a 300 350 million dollar healthcare shop which is incredible to think about really and that's that's pure healthcare that's not really talking about stuff that has healthcare elements but might not be regarded as pure healthcare so talk to us a little bit about you know how you see that and especially coming from the technology point of view from the west coast in terms yeah. of how important that is Completely. I mean, our, our healthcare team has really been on fire. I mean, they've had double digit 20 plus percent growth last year, the year before. It's it's really incredible. And the fact that we won six awards last night, I think, is a testament to the fact that it's not just, you know, that we're winning business, it's that we're delivering great results for our clients. Um, I heard Kirsty Graham speak this morning um, and what she said about who's our um, global health chair and what she said and that struck me was that the awards we won were really in areas that were sort of a cross sector of health and then another area that we were good at. So, for example, health and public affairs. Um, and I think that's really where we continue to have opportunity is not just doing sort of the hardcore pharma work, but it's the combination of health and diversity and equity and inclusion or health and public affairs or health and tech. It's where health intersects with the other aspects of society where I think we can really 
you know, continue to make a difference. Um, and I continue to believe there's a really big opportunity in health tech that we've really only begun to scratch the surface of. At least now we have a concerted sort of health tech offer in a health tech um, working group, whereas before we really just had health and then tech separate, we've brought them together. And I think that's something I'm going to continue to focus on building out uh, with the health team in New York is is health tech and, and what we can do for those clients. Yeah, there's so many areas of innovation out there across the board with uh, fantastic things happening, you know, and uh, a lot of um, a lot of sort of Silicon Valley um DNA in those ideas, but they're not limited to the West Coast. So, yeah, we did, we did a session on that. We also did a good session on creativity in a regulated environment, which I enjoyed. And um, obviously, health equity is a really big uh, issue that, that has has got to be tackled and got to be, you know, people got to do better at. So, so I, I enjoyed the work that reflected that. We should say the best agency was Lippy Taylor. So uh, <laughs> to include 12 notes, I'm sure Edelman will be gunning for that one, best healthcare agency next year. Um, but yeah, it was a great uh, event and a new venue for us. At, uh, it's always good to have something to strive for next year, Steve, right? <laughs> yeah, but it'd be boring. Yeah, if you on our laurels. It'd be boring if you won everything. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it was a uh, great venue right next to the Hudson River. Really good event. Thanks to everyone for coming. It was, uh, it was terrific, as Frank said, to, to see everyone. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Let's get into the Roe versus Wade issue and developments on that front, Frank. Big story. Politico, an exclusive, a great exclusive story, really, about the Supreme Court's um, going to vote to overturn abortion rights. But it's made it a big issue for brands and and agencies, hasn't it, in the way they respond to it with them uh, being expected to take take a view on social issues. Talk us through it. Yeah, so I I think that the corporate response has been quieter uh, than a lot of proponents of, um, you know, women's reproductive health care rights would have wanted. Uh, I think you you see fewer big companies making big, broad, open statements uh, of of support. But you do see a lot, and I'll say Microsoft is one of these, um, making, uh, making it clear that they will support and this could include travel, uh, if it comes to this, women who have to go someplace else for reproductive health care because uh, abortion or other things might be illegal in the state that they live in. So fewer companies making these, these um, kind of loud, open statements in support of Roe versus Wade as it currently stands or more fuller abortion rights, but a lot making it clear to their employees what they will do if that decision is overturned in a few months formally. Yeah, on the agency side, I mean, of course, the big one is is Zeno has really gotten dinged in the past week because of a memo that got out that encouraged the in-house staffers uh, and to talk to clients saying it's a 50-50 issue and that you can't really make anybody happy with uh, whatever decision they make has been the top one. You've also seen firms like uh, Berlin Rosen, you know, say that they are, they're going to create a fund to help staffers in states where anti-abortion laws would be enacted. I think among all of the firms, I think you saw a really strong stance by We Communications yesterday. And I think really making it clear, you know, uh, how they are supporting female staff on this issue. Yeah, and you saw the marketing services holding companies come out and make uh, correct, yeah, healthcare um, and benefits and 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 such like. Margot, obviously, Zeno's part of 
Daniel J. Edelman Group, part of the same group as you, and, and I'm sure it's a slightly difficult week for, for them. Um, what's your attitude to this? You know, it, it, it is difficult with uh, statements on purpose and on issues and social issues, but for some people, this is a sort of, this is a, there's no sort of equivocation on it in terms of women's healthcare rights. So I would be, be great to hear what you think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, for me personally, as, as a woman, um, you know, I, I obviously am appalled that Roe v. Wade would be reversed. I know the ruling, official ruling has not come out yet, but even the idea that it could be reversed, again, for me is 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 horrible. And I am personally very appalled by that. In terms of the memo from, uh, from Zeno, I do think, you know, having read about sort of Barbie's statements in the press about it, you know, her uh, sort of rationale is that the memo was really sort of taken out of context and it was really just sort of cautioning um cautioning clients um to not sort of be be reactive about it and not feel like they have to say something within sort of the 24 hours of the politico uh story coming out so i i mean i really understand that perspective and i i do think some of the memo was was taken out of context but again for me for me personally um it's something that you know i i very strongly believe in in a woman's right to choose and at least at Edelman, what we've done thus far is we have actually we've held sort of forums for for women and or actually really anybody um, at the company who wanted to join. It's been you know majority women, but actually a lot of folks across the board have joined. Um, one of them was led by Lisa Ross for the U.S. and we actually held one on the West Coast. It was you know attended by about eighty people. Um, this is on uh, Monday afternoon, and it was really powerful. We just you know really all everyone shared stories. A lot of people actually cried. It was really emotional. And, you know, it was it was very powerful to hear people just share the extent to which they wanted their employers to back them and to back their values. Um, and I know we as a company are going to be coming out with statement, you know, with, with actions around what we will be doing um, in support of women very soon. So that's what that's what we're doing as as Edel, for Edelman as a company. Yeah, yeah. Lisa Ross's Edelman's US CEO and Barbie Siegel is obviously CEO of Xeno. Yeah, look, this is a this is a I don't think there's any woman in the world wants to have an abortion, is there? And it's a, a very, um, it's, it's become a political football that is um, very difficult to to deal with. And But it does, uh, to bro- broaden it out, Margot, it does point out how difficult the whole area of making statements, you know, the Edelman Trust Barometer is, says that uh, people want brands to make statements on social issues, um, whether they're employees, whether they're consumers, you know, um, but but they have to tread carefully in those areas. And I guess that's why they need wise counsel from agencies, isn't it? I agree on that one. And I think this is a particularly tricky issue because there's absolutely few people who feel so strongly like like I do on one side people feel very very strongly on the other side um so in some ways this is different than climate uh for example um in the sense that people do have very very strong opinions on on both sides of the table which makes I think this this issue in particular so so tricky to navigate yeah. OK, let's move on to the, the White House, where they have a new press secretary about to take over. Karine Jean-Pierre is going to take over from Jen Psaki. We've seen Karine uh, in the White House press room before standing in for Jen, not, not least on, a, on one of her many absences through COVID. But uh, what's the what's the view on Karine Jean-Pierre, Frank? Yeah, really interesting appointment and a historic appointment uh, in that she will be the first uh, black White House press secretary. She'll be the first openly gay White House press secretary. 
Um, so historic on two different levels and uh, you did a really, really impressive career and life journey. She was born in Haiti. Her family is actually an immigrant family that uh, moved to New York City and she went to Columbia there. In a lot of other ways, though, she's, she's a conventional pick in that she is, um, she's a veteran of several campaigns. She worked on the O'Malley campaign and, and both of uh, President Barack Obama's campaign. She was chief of staff for Kamala Harris in 2020. And, and so she's, she's um, uh, in that way, uh, a very traditional um, campaign veteran sort of messaging pick. But um, I, I think that, you know, if you take all the politics out of it and you just judge her on, on messaging and, and ability, I mean, I, I think every time she's done a briefing, she's been pretty good. I think most people would say she's sort of in the mold of Jen Psaki and that she's she's going to be, you know, very uh, competent without, you know, without being very in your face. And so, uh, you know, looking forward to covering her and seeing what she brings to the role. I mean, everybody who has the role brings something new and unique to it, right? So uh, looking forward to seeing what she brings. Yeah, she does. And from what I've seen, she does have some similarities with Jen Psaki, but a different style, definitely. So no nonsense, but actually just somehow um, almost... I don't know it's difficult to say. Very charming, you know, and uh, the, you know it's difficult to dislike her, right? Whatever your politics are, so um, she will have a different style to to Jen Psaki. Margot, the White House press secretary—you could say it's the most high-profile job in PR. Maybe running Edelman as global CEO <laughs> might be the other one. But uh, um, what do you think of Karine Jean-Pierre and 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 uh, the job that Jen Psaki did? Um, you know, I would say for Corinne Jean-Pierre, I think I think it's amazing that we have um, an openly gay black woman who is um, who is in that role. I think, you know, our leadership um, and roles around our leadership should reflect the world we live in. And I think it's wonderful that they do. So I am uh, completely for the fact that she's in that job. And I think it's very exciting. So, you know, kudos to the Biden administration for for that and looking forward to seeing what she does. Indeed. All right, Frank, let's catch up on some financials. Some of the agency groups, S4 Capital, finally released their, I think, their, their uh, full-year financials, weren't they? And Stagwell put its Q1 numbers out. What, uh, what did you make of those? Yeah, the S4 one, uh, you think back a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this, and, uh, you know, Martin Sorrell, the CEO of, of the holding company, saying that uh, the issues with the delay of the, the earnings reports were not material, and then suddenly we have a... Uh, them result in a 5% uh, earnings cut uh, for the quarter, you, you know, kind of escalated quickly there. Um, so that I think is the main headline, just that they had to delay these earnings twice. Um, and then, um, so the, the annual results show gross profit up 43.7% to um, the equivalent of almost $700 million. Uh, so, it, you know, and, just by that number, a successful quarter for uh, S4. Uh, but of course, you know, this issue with the delay is, is you know, embarrassing for them. When you get into Stagwell, uh, you know, another kind of interesting, almost non-traditional holding company. And I think um, for us, you know, the the bottom line is that uh, their, their creative and communications department did really well. Um, in the quarter, uh, they did a Q and or sorry, Mark Penn, the CEO of Stagwell, did a Q and A with uh, our sister magazine campaign and talked about how uh, there's nine percent growth and double digit growth for PR in the quarter. So their PR firms, we should point out, are SKD Knickerbocker, Sloan and Company, Allison Partners, Hunter, 
and uh, KWT Global, formerly known as Quipkin. Yeah, Margot, uh, Martin Sorrell, and Mark Penn, two old sparring partners of your yes. father. It's your first go. You can have a go at them. You, uh, the new generation <laughs> having a jab at them. What do you think? Um, you know, in a small world, I'm actually friends with uh, Mark Penn's daughter. So it, it is always a small world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, she's not in the industry. She's a doctor. Um, but um, no, listen, I mean, these guys have grown fantastic businesses. I think what Martin Sorrell has done with S4 is obviously in- incredibly impressive, regardless of the you know need to restate results um, and the drop in their market value. The fact that he's created um, such a significant and successful business in four years is is really remarkable. Um, so listen, hey, I always think it's good to have uh, companies in the industry that are doing well that we can look to and say, hey, it's always, you know, who do we need to benchmark ourselves against? So I, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting to watch what they're doing. They've obviously succeeded a huge amount. And, you know, obviously there are things we can learn from that. Yeah, I mean, all boats are rising, aren't they? And our, our agency business report last week showed that. Were there any other things in the report that jumped out for you in terms of trends from last year? Um, great question. I mean, I just want to point out for the results from Edelman, I'm, I'm very excited that we continue to lead the the PR pack. Um, and a billion, I do dollars, think, you know, billion dollar agency. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, I do think, again, I know, ref- you know, reflecting what my, my father said, but I do think it's a, um, a testament to the fact that our, our strategy is working, which is focus on the large clients um, and really make sure we're executing um, and really work as one Edelman versus working as sort of a collection of different offices. Um, so it's really exciting um, to have been a part of that. Um, and I you know, look forward to uh, continuing to make that happen in my role in New York. All right, Frank, one of the uh, features in the agency report was all about M&A and the amount of deals that happened in the part, last year, but also in the first half of this year. And that continued this week as Ruda Finn bought another firm. Yeah, and an interesting acquisition in that they bought Communicad, uh, which is a Washington, D.C.-based multicultural agency. They specialize in what they call service-driven social impact public affairs and community programs, uh, specifically targeting the Hispanic audience. It's a good acquisition for Ruderfin to build out their chops in that area. And also, it's uh, they're on a bit of an acquisition string right now, aren't they? In that uh, last year, they bought... Um, Mantis, which is a tech shop over in the UK, and earlier this year they acquired Peppercom. And they were up, just an opportunity here to plug our agency business report again. Uh, Ruderfin was up 28% to about $112 million last year. Yeah, both of those shops have fared well since they split apart. And uh, always interesting to compare the Finns and the Edelmans because uh, Finn Senior gave his four children 25% of the agency, and now we have three separate agencies, whereas uh, Dan Edelman uh, gave Richard 51%, and we've seen what happened there. But anyway, that's the story for another show. I think, I th- I think that's my uh, – I think that's my – dad's uh fear that we would all my sisters and i would in some way split off so i think he he uses that as a lesson of what you don't want to have happen (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. so we're not going to see 33 33 33 as a as a legacy but uh just on the m&a margot did you were you looking at things on the west coast were you you know edelman got back in with uh in dc last year uh there's still deals to be done 
That's a great question. You know, I think especially in the tech sector, we've been really focused on organic growth. We've had 20 plus percent growth in tech just from Edelman. Um, and so I think just given how sort of frankly expensive, I think the acquisitions would be in tech. It was preferable to just, you know, continue to build out on what we had and, and grow organically and then focus on net new business opportunities within, within Edelman. Although we we do have a new CEO at Revere, uh, Kristen Hollins, um, which is primarily focused on working with Google, but then also she's going to be continuing to build out our tech business as part of Revere. Um, so I think having that conflict agency in tech is going to be really helpful for helping us to continue to build out our tech portfolio. Absolutely. You win in so many clients, you got a load of new conflicts. So yeah. On the move. All right, Frank, there was loads of people moves as usual and some interesting ones this week. Yes, uh, Oatly has a new head of communications. It's the well-traveled Brendan Lewis, uh, who's going to be their new EVP of global communications uh, and public affairs. He is reporting up to the chief creative officer, John Schoolcraft. Uh, he is going to be based in the U.S. Uh, Oatly is a Swedish company, but he's going to be based in the U.S. and uh, oversee comms across its three markets, which are APAC, EMEA, and North America. Uh, GoDaddy has a new uh, top communications executive, and it is Greg F. Miu. Um, he is coming over from uh, Honeywell, where he was VP of Global internal communications and community and community relations uh so he's reporting up to the cmo who is farah howard um always interested to see who they report up to in, in these cases um and sirius xm uh has a new head of communications and that's jessica cassano antonellis uh who is coming over from disney where uh you know as we reported there's been a lot of uh movement recently with jeff morrell leaving the top communications role there after a short period of time uh jessica was overseeing communications uh for the streaming services hulu and disney plus at disney and she's going to be reporting up to the cmo denise Carcos at sirius xm yeah, I think that's the first uh, of such roles for Oatly, isn't it? So it'll be interesting to see how Brendan's big beard uh, combines with the Oatly milk. But uh, <laughs> him on his latest challenge, Margot, people and talent is just the biggest issue, isn't it, in the industry? And that it's it's important to get the best people and then and then keep them, isn't it? hundred percent. I think that's something, you know, we've been incredibly focused on at Edelman and in particular on the West Coast. And obviously, in addition to being a client centric business and focusing sort of on one Edelman from a client perspective, I think we really also need to be a talent centric business and make sure that people feel like they have a great career path at Edelman, get to work on great businesses. Um, so at hundred percent, a huge focus of ours. Yeah, and uh, when the client people change, obviously that can be either good or bad, depending on whether you're in with the new clients. That's why networking is so important and knowing everyone in the industry, even if they're not immediately a client. Um, got it. I totally agree, Steve. <laughs> yeah, and I think you've inherited your father's talent for that, uh, having uh, seen you in San Francisco last week. So uh, continued success to you, Margot, and so good luck with the new gig in New York. And, uh, yeah, it's been great to chat to you. Wonderful. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Frank, for having me on. It's our pleasure. Frank, pleasure as always. Thanks for uh, another good week at PR Week. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
And look out for our Global Awards. They're in London next week on Wednesday the 18th. Looking forward to that. First time we've got together globally for three years. Be my first trip back to London for two years. So really looking forward to that. We have our Brand Film Awards the week after on the 26th. That's a virtual event. Going to be terrific. Women of Distinction in New York on the 9th of June. Love that event. Will be fantastic. And we're gearing up for October already for PR Decoded, our massive annual conference and the Purpose Awards. Going to be a great thing on the 11th and 12th of October. October. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.